Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Today, I'm once again talking to Alex Camarda, who's also a licensed clinical social worker. She's a therapist in private practice in the Mercer County, New Jersey area, as well as the former clinical manager of the women's program at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in Hamilton, New Jersey. Today's the second part of the conversation I had with Alex regarding grief. Although in this conversation, we talk more about the importance of validating your own experience during the coronavirus pandemic, as well as different types of resiliency and how you can go about building it. So we just talked about very specifically grief when it comes to dealing with the loss of a loved one. And I know you had said that that's not the only kind of grief that people could be experiencing at the moment. So what else did you have in mind in terms of the other kinds of grief that we might be feeling right now? I've been reading about this collective, this this word tossed around, um, collective grief in regards to what's happening for a lot of us during the pandemic. And a lot of people are struggling with the loss of more concrete things like their job and struggling to get unemployment, not being able to have ceremonies like their wedding or certain vacations and and things like that, family trips and and things along those lines. Those are more concrete things that it would make sense that they'd be struggling with. But I think there's a a lot of us that are struggling with this loss of, of a freedom to just go out, go, go out to grab dinner, go out to grab a drink, go to the movies. I know I am. Yeah, right. And it's it. I, I think we, to some degree, some of us feel guilty even acknowledging that or talking about it because there's, you know, there's so many people who are in the hospital with COVID, or we have the nurses and the doctors and janitorial staff out there mm-hmm. still working and being exposed. That I even know for myself, I, I, I feel guilty saying like I, I miss being able to go out for the night and like have dinner and bop around and things mm-hmm. like that when there's so many more heavy things happening. So. There's that piece, this collective grief of being able to connect in that way or create new experiences outside of just our homes, our apartments, or, or what our day-to-day is looking like. And and for those who are considered more high-risk, a lot of people are struggling with that, literally not leaving their house at yeah. all for walks to go to the supermarket, anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. I know I feel lucky enough to, to feel comfortable going to the supermarkets, of course, with my mask, maintaining the distance and things like that. That's my big trip out for the week. And, and as anxiety inducing inducing as that can be at least i'm able to do that because i you know i'm not considered one of one of the people who are high risk so mm-hmm. there's that that a lot of people just aren't really talking about maybe because it's it's not fully in their awareness or uh they just feel guilty because of you know the people who have been um impacted directly by the covid virus and things. sure allow me to help you with your feelings of guilt for a second sure please <laughs> Um, one of the things that I try to keep coming back to just for myself personally right now is that it's just hard for everybody in different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. like everybody is, everybody's experience right now is difficult because it's not the norm. Um, I, I have those same feelings sometimes, like you hate to complain and you feel, guilty or bad about complaining in a way because it's um you know you realize that you're luckier than a lot of other people in a lot of ways i just think everyone's circumstances right now are hard because it's different for sure 
an interesting concept um, I was reading about was um, generally speaking, when when any of us feel like there's a, a threat, potentially, we, we go into crisis survival mode, mm -hmm. meaning our fight or flight response is activated. Um, we're we're hypervigilant. We're protective of ourselves, our family, our loved ones and things like that. Um, our bodies generally tense up. Our, our um, breathing slows down. We're, we're very much in a in a space where we're you know ready to take action. And I was reading that um, because we're in this situation where anxiety is so high, it's actually triggering our brains and our sympathetic uh, nervous system to think that we're in a situation where we're, there's constantly a threat. Um, and for those of us who don't realize necessarily that we have this heightened awareness right now or this um, increased tension, it can really damage, you know, our our minds, our bo our bodies, our sense of peace. Uh, but it was a really interesting topic because typically that will happen, right? If I'm walking mm -hmm. in in my apartment complex and I see a bear, it would make sense that my fight or flight response is going to kick up because there is a danger there. Um, but right now, because we have this pandemic and there's no end date and, and we don't necessarily know what's going to happen, for many of us, our brains are responding in that way and it can be very exhausting. So if you're noticing that you just feel exhausted lately or your, your body's tense or you have body aches or racing thoughts, it may very well be just because your brain is responding to what we see as a perceived threat. And, and there is some validity to it. And just I just thought that was something to mention because it was a cool way to think about it. Um, like it, it makes total sense, but I hadn't really thought it through, even though, you know, I am a trauma therapist. So yeah, no, I agree. And um, again, it, this sort of sounds like how trauma and the current situation could kind of intersect. You were talking a little bit about like the parasympathetic nervous system and um, the fight or flight response. And mm -hmm. I think just an easy way to think about that is, you know, if you just think about stress, you know, you're, we're all feeling an increase in stress right now, you know, whether you know what hypovigilance is or hypervigilance or the parasympathetic nervous system an easier way to maybe conceptualize that is just kind of thinking about stress in general. You know, we're all feeling an increase. Yeah, for sure. And that's normal. I think, you know, was the point of that long silhouette I just gave that it makes sense it's happening and it's normal. And, and if you're noticing any body changes or increased levels of stress and, and you're feeling like this feels too strong for the circumstance or the situation I'm in right now, validate it. Like it makes mm. sense. We are not in a normal circumstance and, and kind of hold yourself with compassion and, and allow those emotions to come up similar to what we were talking about before. And, and I would really suggest doing uh, deep breathing exercises and yoga and things like that to allow your body to relax into a more um, grounded state. And that'll, that'll settle your brain a bit and allow you to feel uh, more present and more comfortable even within your own body. So you also said, I apologize. There's definitely, there's definitely noise in the background. My kids are running <laughs> around like maniacs downstairs. Um, you said, hold yourself with compassion. I guess I'm wondering if you could explain what that means a little bit. Sure. So uh, for many of us, when we feel like there's nothing concrete that should be causing me stress right now, right? I mean, like for me, I'm able to mm -hmm. work from home. I do not have children yet. So generally speaking, it sounds like I have it pretty easy. So when I feel stress, sometimes I'm I'm inclined to judge it as bad, right? You don't have it as bad as anybody else. Mm -hmm. What do you What are you feeling stressed about? You're You're in a very you know, lucky and fortunate position. And, mm -hmm. and that to me isn't holding it with compassion, right? I have, I don't necessarily have control over, over my emotions 
coming to fruition. What I do have control over is allowing them to really take over and, and lead all of my decision making. So when I say hold it with compassion, it's it's noticing how my body feels, noticing some of my thoughts, noticing the emotion and, and allowing it to be there and, and saying, hey, it makes sense. And and talking to myself like I would talk to a friend in that it makes total sense that you're feeling stressed out and it's okay to do so. And you're, you know, you're really doing the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And that alone softens our view of ourself and, and can decrease the level of anxiety. So to me, what that sounds like in a way is judgment. Yeah. Try, try not to tie any judgment to the thoughts that you might be having. Like you said, if, if you recognize, let's say you have the thought right now that like, this really sucks or, you know, um, I'm really unhappy right now, but then you have a judgment come in that says like, well, you shouldn't be feeling like that because plenty of other people have it way worse. That's obviously going to make you feel bad. It's not going to make you feel good to have that judgment attached to that thought. So I think at least from what I'm hearing you say, a lot of what you're talking about is just noticing when your judgments are coming up and just kind of trying to push them to the side and realizing that that's not helpful yeah absolutely it's not serving you at all it's just making you feel worse usually yeah what kind of apartment complex do you live in when like are bears frequently in your apartment complex every day you know what actually no obviously not because i'm in like central jersey but Uh. there's been a there's been a deer at least for the first month or so of the pandemic that would just walk in between all the cars like it's not an, it's not it's it's very built up like it looks almost like a college area uh-huh. of it, as far as the apartments are concerned yeah, yeah we had this deer just like walking in between cars chomping on bushes and things like that oh funny. that was super weird it never it would never happen before but i guess because people weren't really leaving their homes it became like a welcoming spot for them yeah maybe and like less traffic and stuff <laughs> yeah but no bears luckily yeah that's good yeah um one thing i thought i might ask you about is res- resiliency are there things people can be doing right now to make themselves more resilient you know you mentioned you were a trauma therapist before resiliency is a large part of treating that so you have any insight in terms of how to build resiliency for sure i mean i think first defining what resiliency is i don't know that we all always realize even that we are resilient or that we have it and and i would i would define resiliency simply as like how we respond in the face of adversity or or difficulties and and human beings are one of the most like resilient things that exist in this world and that things happen to us that we think if this were to ever happen, I wouldn't survive it. And these difficult things mm-hmm. happen and these painful things happen. And yet we learn to adapt. We can adjust. We can we can change our thinking patterns, our behaviors and our feelings. And and I think naturally we have the tendency to be resilient. So it's how do I how do I enhance my resiliency? How do I how do I build it up during these times when I just feel very, very stuck and mm-hmm. very hopeless? And my thought with that is Again, we, we talked about that idea of having compassion for ourselves and validating our emotional experiences. And I think starting there that this is really, really tough for me. This isn't a normal time. I, I know I've never lived during a pandemic. I don't know that many people have. And, and you know, the news and the media is, is constantly giving us information about deaths and, and the changes happening not only in our country, but around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and during those times, how, how do we take care of ourselves so that we, we can best 
uh, continue to grow, we can best support our families and our loved ones. So first and foremost, it would be validating our emotional experience and having compassion for it again, which I know sounds repetitive, but, but that's a starting piece for it. And then really looking into ourselves, what are, what are my characteristics that I'm proud of? What, what can I pull from, um, to help me continue moving forward and, and, you know, cheerleading ourselves or, or looking to those that we trust to, to help encourage us and remind us of our strength and our courage um, during times like this. And again, it's it's not something that uh, you're completely creating. You, you already have it within you, resiliency, and it's mm-hmm. just tapping into that during a time when there's so much chaos and so much confusion. And uh, the biggest thing with resiliency is is compassion and, and not having judgment, just being present with yourself, with the emotions that are coming up and, and for those that you love. And then the rest will kind of fall into place. I think one point that you made that I just kind of want to harp on is I think oftentimes people will feel like they aren't particularly resilient for whatever reason, maybe because, um, you know, they have a really hard time processing like grief, like we were talking about earlier, maybe they cry a lot, or maybe they have a tendency to get very angry, whatever the case may be. I think oftentimes people feel like they're not very resilient. But one of the things that I like to say to kind of counter that is, look, you're here, you know, you're alive. So you have to be resilient, even if it's not necessarily this, this idealized idea of resilience. If you're making it through the day, then you're resilient. Uh, It's just kind of a matter of trying to understand how you go about or how resiliency kind of manifests itself within you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I think you're speaking to like many of us have this warped idea of resiliency looking like um, holding it all together, being mm-hmm. in control of emotion at all times, mm-hmm. um, not having uh, emotional breakdowns, which really may just maybe just be crying. Mm-hmm. And I think what you and I are trying to highlight is resiliency is allowing those things to come up, allowing yourself to feel the emotion, allowing yourself to cry, sharing that with family members and giving them permission to share their emotional experience with you. And I think, yeah, resiliency is almost the opposite of being stoic and and suppressing emotion. We want it to come to the surface so that it can begin to heal. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's, uh, that's actually a really great point I didn't touch on, right? Like what does resiliency look like? Because in my family system, we don't talk about emotion and you're not supposed to cry. And, mm-hmm. and we want to, we want to break those, that belief system and really allow you to, to experience emotions so that you can begin to not forget, but let go of, of some of the, the pain and the despair and the emotion. You ready to get a little controversial? Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I think that that there's definitely merit to what you just said in terms of if you have emotional breakdowns, if you cry a lot, that is resiliency in its own way. But I also think that at times being stoic can be resiliency. Like I said, I mean, if you are here, if you're alive, if you're functioning, that might be how resiliency manifests itself in you. Um, You know, obviously as therapists, we don't think that that, you know, we think that it can be problematic if you're that way all the time. But sometimes I think certain circumstances, it's okay to be like that. I guess what I'm trying to highlight is, yes, I totally agree with you that we have this this idealized image of being stoic and all that isn't always what resiliency looks like. I totally agree. Um, 
But I think in some cases it's okay. And that's how some people get through the day. Yeah, no, I get, you, you bring up a good point, right? Like maybe for right now, I can't, I can't be super expressive with my emotion because I have two, three-year-olds to take care of and mm-hmm. I have to get my, my work done for today and things like that. And I, I think, yeah, there's a time and place, right? Like maybe I have to kind of keep it together during this time, but still giving yourself permission at some point throughout the day or throughout the week to really check in with your emotions sure. so you're not completely shut off from it. So yeah, I guess, I guess I could be, I, I don't know that I ever viewed that as, as being stoic, I guess. That just felt like compartmentalizing, but you're right. Mm-hmm. That could be how we define stoicism. Well, you know what? I guess there's also a difference between being resilient in the moment and being resilient in the long term. Um, yeah. I think, you know, as therapists, we probably feel that if you're stoic all the time in the long term, that's probably going to have some consequences down the road that you don't necessarily want. But like you said, if you're in a chaotic house with, you know, three or four kids or one kid or no kids, but your defense mechanism at times is to be stoic, you know, sometimes the the situation might require a little bit of that. And definitely that can have problems down the road if that's how you choose to deal with things at all times. But I just think that there are a number of different ways to being quote-unquote resilient and that could be one of them yeah no i I think you're right thank you again i'm (laughs) gonna share cherish that little sound bite and save it just Just like i did with dr siddiqui (laughs) (laughs) all right i think we're gonna wrap it up there really appreciate you being here and um appreciate sort of you bringing all these insights and watch out for watch out for bears in your apartment complex (laughs) just sprinting away and what big (laughs) duck horses horse sized ducks horse sized ducks yeah alright thanks a lot buddy today's podcast was brought to you by Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health New Jersey's clinical leader in inpatient and intensive outpatient mental health and substance use treatment